This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner. It is entitled, Get Tough. And uh, you can find all of our archived messages on our website, which is zionhebraiccongregation.com. You'll also find all my dad's blog posts, which he puts out weekly, which you can subscribe to in the email subscribe box. If you put your email in there at the bottom of the Facebook page, uh, our, our website homepage, you'll find links to all of our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube, whatever other. Anyways, uh, <laughs> you can uh, also subscribe to all of our uh, uh messages on your favorite podcast platform provider apple podcast and whatnot and our music is by my buddy evan shaw he's on instagram at evan shaw music and his website is evanshawmusic.com as always enjoy hey mighty warriors arise yeah All right, let's turn this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 1. So this message, it just, I don't even know how this happened because I had a message that's all written out and everything. I was going to preach two weeks ago, but of course we weren't here. Yeah, we weren't here. We weren't able to use the building. So in the process, I roughed out another one, which I decided I would preach this morning so I was looking at the notes and everything that I had, and was just going to finalize it. And I started writing, and I don't know how, how this happened, but this message came out, and it's like, well, wait a minute here. This isn't even what I was thinking I was going to be preaching while I was looking at the notes, making up this other thing that we're going to look at this morning. It was just bizarre. It's like, how in the world did that happen? It's kind of like where my mind has been. So out of two messages I was thinking about, this one came and has, I don't know, it, it was bizarre. Like, I don't know if I'm losing my mind or what's going on. So um, I've entitled this Get Tough. I want to read my blog that I just did this week because it's in the same passage and it more or less goes along with what I want to speak on. Uh, I'm sure everybody has already read my blog, but um, so this will be a good refresher for everybody. So I entitled this week's blog, Unfeigned Faith, Persuaded. And it goes like this, 2 Timothy 1.5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. I must confess, I love the words unfeigned faith. They sort of reach out and grab me. In particular, I like that unfeigned faith is quantifiable. It can be detected. It is observable. It is outside the norm of any other kind of faith. It's a real deal. It makes it to the end. The elder Paul is writing to encourage the younger Timothy to hang tough through all the struggles of life and ministry. 
Perhaps Timothy is getting the jitters knowing Paul might not be around much longer. Quite possibly, Paul would be dead very soon and poor Timothy is starting to feel it. Therefore, Paul writes to encourage Timothy to reflect upon the fact that he has experienced and is an example of genuine salvation by grace through faith. I'm pretty sure Timothy didn't doubt that, but he might have wondered why it all kind of unfolds in so many unexpected and unexplainable ways, like in a dungeon, facing imminent death, all alone. Don't we all at times wonder why? Let's step back a bit. Paul at this moment is in a dungeon cell known as the Mamertine prison in Rome. Things are not looking good for him right now. Actually, things are quite dark, literally. For one, he knows he will never be set free. His only contact with the environment is by means of a hole in the ceiling of his cell about 18 inches square. Everything Paul receives and sends out comes and goes through that hole. Here, imprisoned, is the man that had been overcome by the blazing light of Yeshua himself while on the road to Damascus. He's sitting alone in the dark, feeling like who knows what. But he doesn't seem to be thinking too much about himself and his needs. Instead, Paul's focus is on Timothy. He wants Timothy to know that he had remained faithful to his Savior until the end because he was persuaded of his own unfeigned faith. Paul explains in his own testimony what it means to have the assurance of unfeigned faith. 2 Timothy 1.12 for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I've written all this because I'm wondering, are we too easily accepting of a person's declaration of faith? I'm not meaning for that to sound judgmental. I mean for it to sound cautionary. Maybe we have grown too accustomed to accepting at face value somebody's dispensing of proper verbiage. The lingo has become so familiar to us that we just assume a person is saved because they sound like it. Shouldn't we probe a little deeper in search of the telltale evidences of unfeigned faith? It is okay to ask the person you're talking to if they're saved. Paul was persuaded not only about his own eternal destiny, but Timothy's as well. How so? The word persuaded indicates a period of time in which something has happened in the past and continues to remain intact and progressively moving forward into the future. This means Paul could look over his own life and the life of Timothy and state with assurance they both possessed and demonstrated unfeigned faith. Paul didn't think so, hope so. He was convinced, persuaded of their eternal destinies based upon the demonstrable evidence of their lives. So what is unfeigned faith? It's a genuine life altering change 
which starts at a moment in time, salvation, and continues to live and grow, sanctification, through the person's life unto the end. It's faith that has been tested and found to be unfeigned, genuine, honest, real, true, sincere, unaffected. Do you have it? Are you sure your loved ones have it? How about your friends and those you work with? Do you possess the same unfeigned faith of Paul and Timothy? You can't be, settle for being pretty sure, pretty persuaded. You must be 100% persuaded. Paul felt this matter to be so important that his last written words zeroed in on it. For Paul, the assurance of one's unfeigned faith is the rock bottom, all important issue. A final thought. Paul didn't end his years of ministry with many accolades swarming around him. He actually had several folks distance themselves from him. He has no big multi-million dollar auditorium complex he can point to as his legacy. His clothes, no beautiful suit and shoes. A house, the latest chariot model parked in his driveway. By all measurable accounts, he's, well, a failure. Maybe so, maybe not, but he died knowing in whom he believed and that he was being kept until he awoke in glory to see his beloved Savior. I'm sure Paul sat in his dungeon cell of darkness, marveling at where his path had taken him since the bright light captured him on the Damascus road. Maybe he just shook his head and offered up a little smile to God in thanks and wonder. He truly had fought a good fight and had kept the faith, unfeigned faith. Hmm. It's, it's interesting to you know, read these words of Paul knowing they are the end, and he knows it's the end. It's just interesting when a person, as people start to get to the end, it's like why I've become so enamored with Johnny Cash as of late when I've come across his recordings the last 10 years of his life. He was a man knowing he was at the end and he just sang what he wanted, said what he wanted, and uh, it moves people. And these words of Paul move us. Why? Because he knows he's at the end, nothing to lose, and we can read his words knowing he made it to the end. He made it to the end. And he's an example for all of us to get tough. And that's, in essence, what Paul is telling Timothy he needs to do. He has to get tough. And so let's read 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 2, 13. And I, I don't feel like being long this morning I never do, but just the way I'm feeling, and maybe I can just get this out quickly or succinctly. So get tough. All right, 
starting in 2 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore, endure hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet 
is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully? The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say. And the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not yet, he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. So Paul is saying, Timothy, come on, you're going to have to just get tough. He starts out by saying, man, I'm mindful of your tears. So Timothy's been crying over something. So much so it's gotten back to the Apostle Paul and it's, it's affecting him in that he cares for Timothy, but perhaps there's a little note of concern here. And he's trying to just be able to have Timothy strong enough for the race to take the baton from Paul and, and continue on in his stead and even being stronger and doing more for God. Now it's interesting, there's some key words here that Paul kind of tosses out at Timothy, I think probably to jar him a little bit. And yeah, and, and I'll just tell you what they are. In, in 1.7, you have the word power. That's dunamis. It's the ability to overcome resistance. The stick of dynamite in the mountain that goes boom, and it moves a mountain. Power. Afflictions, 1.8. Then in 1.12, you have suffer. 1.16, my chain. 2.9, bonds. And then 2.1, be strong. And then 2.3, Endure hardness. That's the get tough part. So, Timothy, you're going to have to be strong. You're going to suffer afflictions. You might end up in prison just like myself. And if you expect to run the race as I have, you have to be strong. Internal. What's it? Internal. Internal. Say it again. Intestinal fortitude. You know, there's so many things I don't know. Paul highlights his, uh, Timothy's grandmother and mother, no father. It is interesting that if there's not a strong or at least a very real present father figure in, in the development stages of a young child, they, they suffer for it. Um, maybe, who knows what was what role Timothy's father played in his life. But young men need a male model, at least at some point, to be able to look up to somewhat. At least Timothy has Paul as that father figure, because Paul says, you're my son in the faith. You know, it was that father-son relationship that they had. It was, it was intimate. It's kind of like on a farm with Ernie, really 
the first man in my life that was manly and actually took some interest in me, changed my life. And he wasn't saved, I wasn't saved. But it's like, wow, here's a man, he doesn't, list, he doesn't let his wife push him around, he does, he does, what do you say, I do what I want. You know, he does what he wants. He smokes cigars, he drinks, you know, and, and sure, but yet he was a man, he could rip down a tractor, a truck, there was this old truck that had been sitting out in their back lot that my friend and I used to play on from, it was a 1920 something that they used to use on the farm way, way back. And we broke windows, I mean, we made the thing a mess, it was a disaster. Well, one day Ernie decides he wants to get the thing up and running. And then we had to fess up with all that. <laughs> Got the stupid thing running and working, it was this old dump truck. It was amazing. I, it, uh, man was a real man. So Paul is saying, Timothy, you're going to have to get tough. Now, he gives, Paul gives some examples of tough people. And this is all I'm going to say and will be done. But it's in uh, chapter 2 and it's in that 1 through 10 section. So we'll just read that again. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness. Now here's our first example. Get tough, Timothy. Well, how do I do that? A soldier. A soldier is the first example. Thou therefore endure hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Timothy, you have enlisted. You signed on the dotted line. You chose this. You are in cop camp. And it is time to realize you cannot be mama's little boy anymore. You are going to have to toughen up if you want to make it to cop camp. While your mother's over there, not, not Judy, this other mother in the second year, just sobbing and crying about her son. Being, and they're not even out of the parking lot yet. You know what they went to in the parking lot. Golly. And she's crying and, oh, my son. And second year, we've been through it the first year. I don't know if you remember, Mom and I, Judy and I, were sitting there, standing there saying, it's okay, ma'am, it'll be okay on us. They're not going to. She was mortified. Well, he signed up for cop camp. I had no idea what they're getting into. Mom, if she could, and they don't let the parents be near. The parents can't, can't be anywhere near because, well, she would have been in there trying to get her son. No, he signed up for this. Timothy, you signed up for this. Well, I, okay, here's some examples. One, think of a soldier. I think about that this morning. I never was a soldier. The Vietnam War was ending. I had, had set up an appointment for a Navy recruiting officer to come, but I canceled it, hedging my bets that Nixon would end the war and I wouldn't have to go. And so I never had military experience, which I think would have been good for me to have to go through that. Although I didn't go to cop camp either, but I did go to the university that I went to, and that was tough. Um, but nothing like the military. But I, I think it's interesting, the, the three examples that Paul uses to tell Timothy, okay, listen, listen, this is what you need to be thinking about. A soldier. You know, I don't know, who's, who's a soldier? Rambo. You know? Come on, Timothy, we need some Rambos. So, and I love how he says it. It's... it's 
you, listen, Timothy, you're going to have to endure hardness. You need to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You're in a war and it's not about you anymore. And then the second example is an athlete. And if any man also strive for masteries, that's the idea of being an athlete, competes in, in athletics. If any man strive for masteries, he, he's not crowned except he, 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 he uh, uh, enters the arena and does it by the rules. You don't make your own rules. You don't get in there and get upset because something happens and, and, and uh, you didn't do the right thing and now you lose. No, you, you, this is by the rules. There's some rules, Timothy. There's some guidelines. There's some standards. And if you want to get to the end of the competition, if you want to not be on that mat and actually be the victor, there's some things that you've been taught along the way that you have to do. And you've you have to train. You have to work hard. You have to get hurt. You have to get bruised so that when the battle comes, or not the battle, when the competition comes, which in you guys' case is a battle, uh, on the wrestling mat thingy that you guys do, um, you don't get clobbered. And so if you're going to be a soldier, you're going to have to go through hell. If you want to be an athlete that, that actually has a chance to win, prior to that, there's training. That's why I was never really good on the swim team. Because <laughs> to be a good swimmer, man, they put you through the ringer. And I just was slogging along through the whole thing. They didn't want to be there anyway. But the guys that could swim and one, they worked hard at it. So you want to, so Timothy, think of this like an athlete, being an athlete. Somebody that's in competition to win the crown, the prize. And then the third one is the farmer. The husbandman, the farmer that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Now, I don't know if I'm correct on this, but all I can think of is, well, not all, but the way I interpret the second half of that, uh, the husband that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. You know, the farmer, it's gonna, the farmer that's truly the farmer, he eats what he produces. Uh, on the farm, my aunt's farm that I worked on, that which they grew, produce, the animals that they raised and killed, they ate them. So they didn't want no junk. You know, when they're out there, they weren't thinking, you know, oh, yeah, we got our own stash of food and we'll sell this to those people out there. And, and you know, if, if, you know, they'll have to settle for it because we had our own farm stand. People came by all the time to, to buy what was picked and the turkeys that were killed and whatever else they killed. Um, you know, the farmer is in it because first it's survival. This is how they live. And you want it to be good so that you'll be well-nourished. And then it can benefit others that might eat your crops. And so the farmer, I mean, farming, this I can speak to, is hard work. I mean, gosh, Ernie would be so dog-tired and he'd want us there 5 o'clock in the morning because we had to get out there and, and get stuff done or spray the crops or whatever we were going to do before the sun got up. And I would go to the old farmhouse and 
Ernie, he went to bed late because of what they've been doing anyway, and he's spread out on the couch right there. You remember this, Judy? In, in, in the, in the uh, kitchen area, they had a couch there. And he would be snoring worse than Judy. I'd get to the door. The alarm clock, the old wind-up alarm clocks, just ringing, ringing, ringing. He's dead to the world. I'm banging on the door, and he still can't hear it. And he had been to the, oh, and he'd gotten up early enough to go to the farmer's market, and soul is trying to get some more sleep, and he was just dead to the world. And then to spend all the hours that they did and then we did in the field day in and day out, hot, fighting the elements, you know, the bugs, the weeds, trying to get stuff, then you have to pick it. I mean, it's, it's, it was you know, sun up to sunset. It was hard. It was really hard. I mean, so much so, Arlene picked so much. I don't know if you remember Arlene. Just a little short thing. Uh, she, she had spent so many years bending over, she could not stand up anymore from, from, from picking all those years. She literally was like this. She could not stand up because her back spent so many hours picking. Hard work. You pay for it. There's a price involved. But that's, how you, that's what sustains you. So Paul... You know, he's trying to use these, these illustrations. They're, they're maybe personal, not personal as far as what who Tim, Timothy might have known, uh, a, some, a soldier might have known. I don't know any of this personally. But what's interesting is, after that, Paul kind of wraps this thing up by giving two actual examples. And those two actual examples of those that were tough, went through a whole lot, and made it to the end are... Uh, 2.8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And, and let's see. Uh, and 1.8, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. So a living recently example was Jesus himself, Yeshua. And Paul says, look at Yeshua, look at his life. See how he did it. And I don't know if, I don't want to say too many things that always re <laughs> reveals my ignorance, but it's almost like, well, if that's not tangible enough for you, Timothy, look at my life. And, and Paul, you know, he uses himself, uh, 9 and 10. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake. And then he's also, though, mentioned in the second half of 1.8, where Paul says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So Yeshua is brought to death because of the affliction that he suffered to be faithful, to get out the truth, and he was tough enough with the help of God to make it to the end, and the same with the Apostle Paul. So Timothy, come on, I'm leaving. You're going to have to take my spot. So think about a soldier, the athlete, the farmer, and how tough they have to be to be successful. And then think on Yeshua, our Savior, what he went through. And then when I'm gone, Timothy, remember me how I made it to the end. 
I do think is interesting, and the thought just hit me while I was writing my blog. Um, you know, here's Paul, gloriously saved on the Damascus Road. Yeshua, this bright light engulfing him. Ah. And all the things he had seen and done for God and the suffering he went through. And this man that is brought into this new existence of his in this light, finishing his days in a dungeon. Darkness, 18 square inch hole or whatever it was. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't compute. The end of a life isn't supposed to be like that in modern Christianity and even in the Messianic movement. Christianity, Messianic movement, you have a nice house, you have nice clothes, you have nice car, you have a multi-million dollar complex. That's success. That's what we want. That's what our pulpits are selling. And our Messianic preachers are selling. It's, it's all prosperity. Jesus is going to fix it all. And it just does not compute with Scripture. And it makes me ripping mad. And I'm, I'm, I'm reading, here's Paul, and this, this is it. He didn't have the multi-million dollar complex. Yeah, fancy clothes, new chariot sitting in the driveway. He's a failure. I don't know. I'm going to say it this way, you get mad, but everything's ass backwards. Bass backwards, ass backwards. It just is. And I really am thankful that um, Brad is... I think as he gets older in life and with what he's going through with the cancer and things are coming to the end, you, you do. It's just natural. You reassess and your vision changes, you, you, how you see things. And you look back and you see and now you see what's developed over all these years. And, and it's almost like with Johnny Cash, man, I got 10 years, I got to really get it in there. Or me, I know things are winding down. Or Brad, it's winding down. It's like... You know what? You're just tired of playing the game. You know, you've known all along, but uh, but now it's like you cross that mental line in your mind. And you say, enough is enough. Can't keep doing this, guys. Can't keep doing it. So we're going to have to get tough. We're just going to have to get tough. We're still afraid to witness to people. You do, if you ever really think about things we're afraid of, maybe not crippling so, but we're, we're afraid of what people will think if we really speak out for Jesus, Yeshua. We're afraid we might lose our jobs, our positions, if we really show our faith, speak our faith. I think we're more afraid than we realize. That's why Paul says, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul knew Timothy was fearful. And it made him perhaps even timid. Some think that word for fear, God has not given us a spirit of fear, tim timidity. T 
timid, I can't say speak this morning, timidity. Um, you know, I, we are. We, we, uh, and we just can't let it conquer us anymore. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I was so encouraged by all this. I know I probably preached it so som- in such a somber way, as I usually do. But, you know, I, I still go back to it, like his, listening to Lester Roth. And if I'm somber, he would really let us have it. But I always, it brought encouragement and light, and light to my soul and, and hope to my being to just see a man who saw it as it was and lived it and endured to the end and uh, preached hard stuff with a heart of love and compassion, but realizing what was at stake. And we need preachers like that. You know, I'm so sick of us all being comfortable, fat, dumb, unhappy, knowing everything. We're smart. We, ha- we know it all. But it's all academic. It's just turned into academia. It stinks. We need the real deal. You know, we need some people that might not know Greek and Hebrew, but boy, they know the Bible and they can stand and fight and make a difference and shine. And we just need that. So start with me. Start with us. Start with any that listen to this. Raise us up, Father, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. The soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and your own.